You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you right now because we need you. Lord, we need you to teach us. And God, I pray that that would happen right now that my words would fall away, but your word and what you would do by your spirit, Lord, would fall on receptive ears and hearts and minds, Lord, and you would be at work in this time. God, I pray that you would remove distraction. I pray that you would um, remove the um, desire for self that causes us not to want to hear from you sometimes. And God, you would give us open and humble hearts to listen to you. Lord, we need you. Uh, please, in this time now, would you be present in a powerful way in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter two. Philippians two is where we're gonna be um, this morning. Um, this is probably a familiar text to many of you. We're gonna really look at three verses today in Philippians two, and uh, I've said it three times now. That's when you're doing preaching classes. They say you should say it three times so that people know where to go, okay? Philippians 2, this is where we're going to be. I'm going to read it, and then um, we're going we're gonna to dive right into it, all right? So Philippians 2, the, the heading of Philippians 2 in my Bible says, Christ's example of humility. And so here's what it says, Philippians 2, starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So far, Paul here in these, these two verses, he's talking about the who. He's addressing some specific people here, and this is the who. These are followers of Jesus, passionate about one thing, growing together in love. This is the who, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Now here is the what, what we are to do. Do nothing, verse three says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I read that, and I am immediately convicted of a whole bunch of things in my life. I recognize, and hopefully you do, with a quick reading of this text, areas of pride areas where we are lacking humility, areas where we are um, deficient in um, thinking significance of others. And maybe you're sitting there, though, and you're thinking, nope, I'm good. Um, no, I- I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. Actually, I'm not sorry to tell you, but, but we're not. We're not perfect in this. And if you're, if you're even sitting there, maybe, and you're trying to not listen to me right now or not listen to what God's word has to say, say that is because of pride. And we all have this. And, and I, even as I speak this to you, I am resistant to it towards my own heart because I know that this is convicting for me. And I know that I need this just as much as you do. And so this is a message for all of us today, all right? C.S. Lewis says, um, if anyone would like to acquire humility, the first step is to realize that one is proud. Nothing can be done before that. Nothing can be done before that. Pride is a huge problem, and here we have the solution. This is what should come in place of pride in our lives in these verses. 
Um, I got a couple of verses on the screen here for us. Uh, these would be verses to um, help us understand the seriousness of pride, all right? The first one comes from James 4, 6, and it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't want to be opposed by God. I wanna, I'm going to be receiving that grace from him, so, so I want humility in my life. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Uh, pride is a bad plan. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he might exalt you. Before Jesus stepped on the scene of history, um, humility was not seen as a virtue. Even in our day, currently, humility is appreciated in people. We like when we meet someone who's humble. But so often, we're willing to excuse pride. We're willing to excuse self-promotion, especially in the world of celebrity, but also in each other, and maybe even in our family. So often, we are given to this. Now, if we're honest, we all struggle with this because, have you met me? I'm awesome. Now, we would never, hopefully never say that out loud, but that is what's in our hearts so often that motivates and causes us to act in certain ways. Our own self-significance, how amazing we are, pride is a problem. Uh, D.L. Moody uh, said this, I love this quote, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Yeah, whoa, that's heavy, eh? God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. If we want what the Lord has for us poured out into our lives, given to us, and we need to remove self from the picture. We need to get the thoughts of me and my and I out of there and thoughts on the Lord. Giving up the, the desire for self and self-love and self-promotion and, and give it to the Lord. Now, hopefully so far you're not getting too discouraged Maybe you are, and it's okay to have conviction, but not discouragement in this, because Paul, who discipled the Philippian people, he's writing this to them. This was something for them to hear, too, and it's something for us to hear, too. We all struggle with this, and we all need this, and so Paul, in love, he pens these words. He pens these words calling for humility, because if we are followers of Jesus Christ, this is what humility should look like in our lives, and so our sermon title today is this, Humility, This Is You in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have by uh, grace through faith come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this should be you, this should be me in ever-increasing measure, humility growing up inside us. Let's look at this verse, this first verse we're going to study this morning, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. There's a whole bunch of words there, like selfish ambition, conceit, humility, counting, significance. These, these all have to do with the heart and an attitude, an inward way of conducting ourselves towards others. This is where humility starts. And so this is point one this morning. Humility begins with how I think. Humility begins, it starts with how we think. The first thing there, it says... Do nothing from selfish ambition, or maybe your Bible says rivalry. Uh, Dr. John MacArthur, he describes this as a persistent seeking of personal advantage and gain regardless of the effects on others. 
Let me read that again. Persistent seeking of personal advantage and gain regardless of the effects on others. Paul, this was a very serious issue for the people in Philippi. He had to address this issue. In chapter 1, verse 17, he actually addresses some specific people who were using the preaching of the gospel for their own advancement, for their own fame, and for their own glory. Now, hopefully, we look around and we think, that's sick, is all about the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be that. Yes. Hopefully, you don't want to be that. I don't want to be that either, using the gospel for my own personal advantage and gain. But the root issue is the same, and it's in the same as those people who were addressed in Philippians 1.17 as it needs to be addressed in us too. And that's why Paul uses these massively heavy words at the beginning of verse 3 there. See them? Do nothing. Not do some things. Not do a few things. Not do the occasional thing. But overarching, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from this persistent seeking of personal advantage and gain regardless of the effects on others. Selfish ambition or, see that next word there? Conceit. Conceit. That word, the literal translation of that is empty glory. Essentially, that's what conceit is, thinking so much of yourself that's not really due to you because you're not actually as amazing as you think you are. But we do this. I do this. We walk around with this conceit welling up in our hearts because we're focused on ourselves so much. I can't then care about others when all I care about is myself. And this is why pride and humility are so tricky and so difficult for us to work with. The role that others play in humility is massive. Humility, though, is not some sort of self-deprecating, beating yourself up, self-condemnation. That's, that is not what humility is, right? And, and in case anyone is beginning to think that or do that this morning, thinking, oh, I need to think less of myself in, the, in some sort of hierarchy, that is not it at all. Because you need to know that God loves you. He doesn't want you to hate yourself. He wants you to hate your sin. He wants you to get rid of that. He wants you to detest it and desire for it to be completely removed from your life. But he loves you. God loves you in spite of all this. He loves me. How amazing is that? That he, rich in mercy, would send his son, Jesus, that we may have a life if we believe in him. That is what God offers to us. And so he's not asking for you to hate yourself and to degrade yourself, but to, in humility, count others. This is a more significant desire and care and thought towards others. Humility begins with how I think. If my personal advantage and my goal is self-promotion, I can't be humble. I wrote this little phrase down um, this week, and it's not profound at all, okay? But it's very true. It is impossible to be humble while filled with pride. That's the brightest thing I could come up with. Right? But it's completely true, all right? It's not super profound. You can't be completely humble when you're full of pride. But we try and do this all the time. We walk around with pride in our lives and try and come off to others like we're humble, like we've got it all together, like, you know, I am not thinking that I'm amazing. I'm so good at not thinking I'm amazing. You have no clue how awesome I am at that. No, that is wrong. That is pride welling up in us. But look what it says. In humility... We are to count. I like this word count. It, it has to do with um, valuing or considering or judging or regarding um, others as more. See what it says there then? More significant. As more significant. This isn't about what people are. 
John Piper said this, and I, as I was reading, I thought it was very profound. It's not about what people are, but it's how we count them. It's how we value them. It's not that they are better than you. It's that you value and you care for and you consider and you look to them, and then you end up treating them as if they are, though. Because this is the example we have from Christ. And he counted us, he valued us so much that he would come to earth and die on a cross that we may have life. I don't know about you, but I struggle to think humbly. I struggle to think humility when it comes to others. And the reason is because of the end of this verse, the, self, the significance of others. I, I think I am too significant. A few months ago, I was uh, stopped at a stoplight and um, I was the first one in the left-hand turn lane, which was great because of my own self-significance. I think that I should get the first spot, so I'm there. I've got my blinker on, and I'm really hoping for an advanced green. I, I really want one, and I believe, um, and, and I would never say this, hopefully, but we all think this way. Like People at the traffic authority, they better know who I am and get me that advanced green. Don't they know where I have to be, what I have to do, who I am, and what I am up to? Come on, I need this advanced green. So I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, and I don't get the advanced green. So already you're kind of like, ah, I was really hoping for that advanced green. So I, you know, gracious to the parking authority people, I pull my car about a car's length out kind of into the intersection, right? And you, you wait for the, the oncoming traffic to go. And there's two lanes of oncoming traffic. Um, the, the far left lane files through fine, which is great. Hurry up. I'm in a rush. But the next lane, there's just one car in that lane. And it doesn't pull forward. And so now I have this inner turmoil, right? Like, do I try and race it across? What if they look up and they see it and, and, they, and they go and then we have this big accident? Or, and so I'm sitting there for what? was an eternity. Well, it felt like an eternity. And finally, this person looks up from whatever they were doing that was so much more precious and valuable than my time to notice that the light's green and gently put their foot on the accelerator and pull through the intersection. And as they go by, I realize I know that person. And immediately my heart is just struck with a sense of my own desire for self-significance. Here I am sitting there so frustrated that this person would be wasting my time because I am so important. At least that's how I think. Do you want to know who the person was? It was a friend of mine, and I've talked with this person and their spouse, and we've since then laughed about this. Um, and they've given me permission to tell you that it was Pastor Robbie's wife, Jill. <laughs> yeah. Shame on me, right? <laughs> okay, here's the problem, though. Shame on all of us. It doesn't matter if it's somebody that we know and love or somebody that we detest. For us to have that sort of attitude of self-significance and pride that I deserve or I am better, it's wrong. It's wrong. And Paul here calls for us to do nothing from rivalry or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. We fail to do this. I fail to do this often. Think about this, okay? If you and I, we aren't treating and thinking and considering and counting others more significant than ourselves, then what we're doing is saying, I'm more significant than you. And if we're not saying anyone else is more significant than us, what we're doing is saying, I am the most significant person in the entire world. That's the reality of our puffed up self-significance. 
is that we then begin to walk and act in that way. And we don't count the significance of, uh, of others as we should. What has to happen if we're going to uh, have humility starting in our minds is a renewal of the mind. This is kind of the application to this first point. We have to renew our minds. We have to change the way that we think, the way that our attitude um, then is portrayed and comes out for us. Because what we think determines um, how, what we believe. And what we believe determines then how we act and how we treat other people. And so it starts in our mind with how we think, and we need to renew our mind. So um, I got these two things that are going to come up on the screen here, all right? Humility starts with how I think. Two things have to happen, all right? First, um, think about uh, self-less, and then I wrote down me thoughts. How much of our day do we spend consumed with me thoughts? Thoughts about I, thoughts about me, thoughts about us, what I'm going to do after work, where I'm going to sit and crash in my house as soon as I get home, how all I want to do is sit and relax, how come these little people running around me don't understand how significant I am and give me the time for that, how much money I will have so that I can buy this for me when my kids are gone and finally move out, I can... It's all about self. It's all me thoughts, and we all struggle with this. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, well, don't I ever get some me time? Look at the verse again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is, this is heavy stuff here. Look at verses six through eight. Okay, this is talking about Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus full on put aside all of his deserved significance and worship and glory that he was rightly deserved to care for others, to count others more significant than himself and do this massive work and act of loving us, saving us, doing the one thing for us that we could not do for ourselves, and that is bring forgiveness of sin. Jesus does this for us. Now, maybe you're like, well, that's, so there's no me time? Like, do I get anything? Uh, maybe it's on the same page. I don't know about this, but uh, Philippians 3.14, Paul says this, I press on towards the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In the end, he takes care of you. He wants you to live and go hard for him now. It's this race that we press on to, and there's, there's a winning at the end. There's a prize. God will take care of you in the end. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6.33, Seek uh, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Obey his commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Count others more significant than yourself, and let the Lord take care of you. Be conscious of your me thoughts, because your me thoughts determine, determine your me actions. Humility begins with how I think thinks about self less in terms of our me thoughts. Again, this is not a self-degrading, but this is a time thing. And here's the second thing, um, the significance of others. The significance of others more. Increasing in how we think about and treat and interact with and value the people who are around us. This is something that we often struggle, I often struggle to do. But if we're gonna be people who not just in our hearts 
or out of our lips stop saying I'm the most important person in the world, but in our hearts stop saying I'm the most important person in the world too then, then it's gonna happen as there's a significance of others building within our lives. Think about this, all right? So often we think we're so significant. Jesus comes to earth, dies on a cross, not just for me. For everybody who would believe in him for forgiveness of their sin. How dare I sit back and think, well, I'm more significant than that person that Jesus died for over there. Oh, I'm more deserving of worthy glory and honor than they are of respect. How dare they look at me that way? How dare they think about me that way? That is because of a wrong understanding of the significance of others, and the significance of others needs to increase in our life. This doesn't happen, though, when we think we're awesome. This takes a renewal of the mind. This takes a coming to the Lord. This takes a, an attitude change. This takes uh, thinking about self less and thinking about others more and their significance and valuing them, not because of who they are, but because of how you count them, how you value them in Christ Jesus as he has counted and valued us worthy of coming to earth and dying on the cross for, which, if you know me and you know yourself, you're like, why would he ever do that? Because he loves you. And it's that same love that then is supposed to motivate us to live that same humility out to the people around us. This starts with how we think. It starts with how we think, but then it goes to this, how we live. Look at this in the next verse. Let each of you then look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If this is happening in your mind, it's going to be happening in the interests of others, in the actually how you act and interact with the people around you. And so humility will be proven uh, with how you live. This is point number two. Humility is proven by how I live. This is how humility actually happens. It starts in the head, goes into the heart, and then comes out in our life. May God increase humility in our church. Amen. Paul's writing this to the Philippian people because he desires for this great work to be happening in their church. And I believe not just in their church, but also in their individual lives. And so it's been my prayer this week that God would be increasing humility in our minds of the people in our church that would then be affecting the way that we live, not just in our church, but also in our marriages, at our jobs, with our kids, that God would be doing this work of, of building up humility and it would be proven by lives changed, living more hu- humbly for him. The verse says, let, look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Really important word here is that word look. See that there? It carries with it an active, intentional, not accidental, or when it's convenient, but with the goal, the focus, the aim, the desire to do something for others. That's why Jesus came to earth. It wasn't just this kind of like convenient, relaxed trip down to earth. There was intentionality in the looking to our interest. Our interest there was our need for the forgiveness of sin, atonement that only he could do for us. We could not otherwise save ourselves, but he saves us and does this awesome work. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. That word interest there appears two times. See it there in the verse? That is what's referred to as a translation filler word. It's not actually in the original text, but those who are translating into English, they put it there to help us because otherwise it would be a little bit confusing for us. So here on the screen, this is the most accurate interpretation of the verse. Let each of you look not only to his own, 
but also to the of others. If we just read that, we'd kind of be like, to the what? So that's why the translators put in the word interest there to help us. And the word interest is super vague on purpose because it's not just let each of you look not only to the needs, to the safety, to the health, to the food concerns of yourself, but also to that of others. It's, it's interest. It's anything that people care about. This is what we are supposed to be doing. Let each of you look not only to the health, finances, happiness, family, work situation, personal issues, educational success, sleep of yourself, but also the health, finances, happiness, family, work situation, personal issues, educational success, sleep of others. Look not only to your, but also to the of others. There's a big blank there. What, are the, what is the blank in your life that you're looking to, but not in the same way to the others? Let each of you look not only to your, but also to that of others. Notice that Paul here in this text, he doesn't have to tell us to, you know, make sure you care for yourself too. He, know, he knows we're going to do that, right? That's why he says, look not only to your own, because he knows you're going to do that. He knows that we're going to do that. He knows our self-desire is to care for me and I all the time. And so just like Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, Paul's saying that here too to us. He's saying, don't just care about you. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is what God wants us to do. He wants to, us to, to care for them. It's not about what your church, what your family, what your friends, what your kids, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for them. It's not about what all of the things going on in my life will do for me, but what I will do for them as I seek to strive and live out humility exemplified in Christ here. How different would our church be if when we came to church, we looked not only to our own, but also to that of others. If we came to church and our care, our burden, our passion, just let's just start with church, okay? We can get to your house, to your family, and to your job in just a minute. But just coming to church often, and I'm guilty of this too, I want to be greeted, I want people to warmly welcome me and love me. I want someone to sit down beside me and ask me how my day was. I want somebody to, to come up alongside me and pray for me at the end of the service. All of those are me thoughts. All of those is about my interests. I hope you'll look to my interests. But the passage doesn't say that. It says, look not only to your own, but also to that of others. We should be coming to church not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve in your house, with your family, with your kids? Do you approach those situations at work with what will the benefit be for me here or how can I care for and love this person who I'm interacting with? The reason why we fail to do this is because of this word that we don't like, we use it in such a negative way but so often have it exemplified in our life and that word is entitlement. And it has to do with the self-significance, this word of entitlement, because we are thinking that we deserve something and you need to deliver people. That's what our heart's saying. That's what my heart is saying so often. 
John Piper defines humility as the opposite of a sense of entitlement. An opposite of a sense of entitlement. Humility needs to increase in our lives. It starts in our minds and then it flows out in how we live. Now, maybe you're thinking right now, really, Carl, are you telling me that I need to stop thinking about myself all the time because as you're talking right now, I'm realizing that that's all that I do. And this is super heavy for me too. As I'm writing this this week, I'm like, oh, I need to be sitting there listening to this message because so much of my time and thoughts are consumed with me. But yes is the answer. We need to be putting self aside, putting pride aside, putting self-significance, significance of others, putting on humility, removing entitlement in our lives. My dad was a great example of this in my life. Um, he would come home from a long day at work, working hard, and all I wanted to do as a kid was throw a ball was shoot baskets, was stand in net and let him shoot tennis balls at me, which I always thought would have been a great stress reliever for him. But that's, that's all I wanted to do was just to play with him when he would get home from work. Now, my dad's not perfect. You need to know that. I love him very much. But I can't think of any times when he came home and said, no, I'm going to look to my own interests and go sit on the couch. Ignore your interests, Carl. I can't think of any, I don't remember any times when he pushed me aside to do just what he wanted. Was he perfect at that? No. But I know that God was at work in his heart, growing him in humility to look to the interests of others. And I know it wasn't just for me, but also to the interests of my mom and to my little sister as well. He cared for us and he was looking to our interests. Seriously, we grew up in Muskoka, okay? We heated our house by wood stove. I don't know if you've been to Muskoka in the summer. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Who, in their right mind, on a day off in Muskoka in the summer, then chooses to go in their backyard and split wood all day? People who are looking to the interests of others. Splitting wood is super fun for like 10 minutes when you're at a cottage on vacation, right? Or for like half an hour, maybe, when you're camping and you're like, we're going to die if we don't do this all day on your one day off when you're in Muskoka and you could be down by the lake? What? Interest of others. Was my dad perfect? No, but God was at work in his heart doing this, prompting him to care for others, to look to their interests. There's a point when it comes to looking to the interest of others where there's, there's eventually, a, a, a just, you just have to do it. It's not gonna come easy. You've gotta just do it. And say, listen, Lord, I know this was what you want from me. And so I'm going to, in faith, put myself aside. Think of these other people as more significant than me. And I'm going to do it. When our kids ask us to get down on the floor and play with us, and all we want to do is sit down in a chair for a few minutes. When your spouse wants you to go for a walk, and all you want to do is sit alone and read. When the tasks at your house seem to be piling up, and you see the, the person is not yet getting to them, look to the interests of others. I want this for me. I'm not great at this. Whenever I come home and my kids are like, hey, will you come outside and play with us and jump on the trampoline or go for bike rides? And they don't say it, but they should also put in brackets and get super sweaty and waste a lot of energy right before going inside to help mom with dinner. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. yeah. Sometimes you gotta just do it. And my heart, is it perfect all the time in my desire to just care for and serve my family? No, but I know that this is what the Lord's calling for. And 
I'm watching the Lord as he blesses those relationships as we walk in humility, as I learn to walk in greater humility. Again, I am not perfect at this, okay? You need to know that this is a constant struggle in my life, but I desire for this. I need a supernatural come down from heaven act of God for this to happen in my life. And so I need God to do this work. I wrote down two things that have to happen if we're going to live out humility. You can write these down. Here's the first one. you got to pray for humility. If you're going to have humility increasing in your life, if I'm going to have humility increasing in my life, so much so that in my heart it begins to spill out into my actions and into the people around me, I need to pray for it because I need God to do this. I was thinking about this week, the reason why we don't pray for humility is because we think we are already humble. Seriously, if, if we understood how much pride we have and how lacking in humility we are, I think we'd be on our face most of the day. But the reality is, and it's not just for humility, but it's for so many other areas of life, the reasons why we don't go to the Lord is because I think I can take care of it. I think I can figure it out. I'm not sure I'm going to need the Lord's help in it. We need an act of God. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to ask him for the strength to do it. And then when it comes along, we got to just do it. That's the second thing I wrote down. First, pray. Second, just do it. There's a point where there's, there's no more waiting for it to be easy, but having this kind of a holy resolve that I'm going to do it. I'm going to set self aside. This is not going to be easy. Paul in Philippians 2, 17 says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. That doesn't sound like an easy thing that he was going to go through, but he says at the end he would rejoice about this thing. Because he knew that it was being used by God for his glory in the increasing of these people's faith. He was going to just do it. Humility is proven with how I live. Verses 3 and verse 4 outline this heart and then this what should come from us. And then in verse 5 here we see the motivation for why this happens. Look at verse 5 with me quickly. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the single greatest difference maker in the history of the world, and he will be the single greatest difference maker in your life, in your marriage, at your workplace as well. This all can happen if we have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is possible. If you are not, if you don't have the presence of Jesus in your life, we're not going to be able to walk in humility. Here's point number three. Humility is impossible without Jesus Humility is impossible without Jesus. There's no removal of selfish ambition or conceit and in humility counting others more significant than yourselves. There's no looking not only to my own interests but also to the interests of others without Jesus. I need him. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God on a cross. He owed nothing and paid everything. And until we understand that, until I understand that more and more and more every day, I'm going to struggle with pride. I'm going to struggle to walk in humility. And I'm going to struggle with a sense of self-entitlement and self-significance. This should be our mind in Christ Jesus, who was willing to die on a cross that we may have life. There is no room for self-promotion 
trying to humble brag about how great you are at your job at golf or as a parent. There's no room for caring more about your lawn and how great it looks compared to your neighbors or having some nice car just so people will think highly of you. None of this happens when we get to the foot of the cross. We look at Jesus and we realize that's where we should be. And in all honesty, this I need to hear this too. No one's thinking about how they look when they're looking at Jesus. We need less looking in the mirror and more looking at the cross. That's how humility happens. It's impossible apart from Jesus. Pride is so ugly. We need Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving us a way through your son, Jesus. Paul Tripp, when talking about pride and proud people, he wrote this. I want to read this to you. We all know it. We've all seen it. We've all been uncomfortable with it, and we've all done it. The bottom line is this, proud people tend to talk about themselves a lot. Proud people tend to like their opinions more than the opinions of others. Proud people think their stories are more interesting and engaging than others. Proud people think they know and understand more than others. Proud people think they've earned the right to be heard. Proud people think they have glory to offer. Proud people, because they're proud of what they know and what they've done, talk a lot about both. Proud people don't reference weakness. Proud people Um, Don't talk about failure. Proud people don't confess sin. So proud people are better at putting the spotlight on themselves than at shining the light of their stories and their opinions on the glory and utter undeserved grace of Jesus Christ. We can't stop doing this without Jesus. But the more we get our eyes off of self and on to Jesus, the more humility increases in our life and the more pride just shrinks and entitlement falls to the wayside. But this doesn't happen when we're all about us. Look at verse nine. Jesus does this on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question this morning is, when that moment happens, will Jesus find you desiring to walk in humility before man and before him already on your knees or will you be put to your knees? It's my desire to be on my knees But so often I'm trying to stand up for my own glory, for my own look at me. There's no standing in light of the significance and the glory and the holiness and the worthiness of our God, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when our eyes are on him, humility becomes possible because we're not looking at ourselves Humility is impossible without Jesus. Now, many of you in this room, you need to be encouraged because you are striving and making amazing and fantastic steps in thinking less about self and more about your Savior, and praise God for that. And there is more. You haven't made it. If you're thinking, yeah, this is, yeah, it is good. I am, I am humble. Nope. No. By definition, you've just proven yourself to be prideful. The less we think about me, myself, and I, and the more we think about Jesus Christ and his significance, the more humility will increase in how we think and then how we live. And again, it all happens because of Jesus Christ. Humility is possible because of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song in just a minute called Oh Praise. 
And the song is a song of intentional exaltation of Jesus Christ that we may leave this place this morning thinking more highly of our Savior. Not thinking less of ourselves in some sort of deficient, beat myself up kind of way, but a grace-filled mercy from God. You are holy. I am not. I love you. You are to be high and lifted up and exalted, not me. I will then go and love others as you have loved me. That's why we're going to sing this song right now. So why don't you bow your heads with me and, and let me pray. And, and maybe as you bow your head right now, you need to come before the Lord and confess to him a lack of humility. Maybe confessing a pride and entitlement. Maybe you can confess specific people who you have thought yourself more significant than of and not look to their interests. Come before God. Admit pride. Ask for renewal of your mind. That he may be glorified in you. That he would be changing you. That he would be uh, causing humility to rise up in you as you know him and you know his son, Jesus. God, I confess, we confess right now how often our glory, not your glory, is what we care most about is what fills my mind and my motivations for how I live so often. And God, I pray that this morning you would grant to us a, a greater understanding of your significance and your holiness. And you would increase because of that humility in our lives. Lord, thank you for loving us in spite of our pride. Sending your son as an example of perfect humility, Lord, that we may have life through faith in him by grace. God, we love you, and I say thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, right now. It's in his name I pray. Amen.